after what you might call <clears throat> several weeks of preparation, or you might call, on the other hand, several weeks of stalling, we are going to begin this week to look at the Ten Commandments. And so I'd encourage you to turn and read along as I read aloud from God's Word, Exodus chapter 20, beginning with verse 1 and continuing through verse 22. Exodus 20, beginning with verse 1. And God spoke all these words. I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol in the form of anything in heaven above, or on the earth beneath, or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the fathers to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you, nor your son or daughter, nor your manservant or maidservant, nor your animals, nor the alien within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them. But he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and your mother, so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God has given you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his manservant or maidservant, his ox or donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. When the people saw the thunder and lightning and heard the trumpet and saw the mountain in smoke, they trembled with fear. They stayed at a distance and said to Moses, Speak to us yourself and we will listen. But do not have God speak to us or we will die. Moses said to the people, Do not be afraid. God has come to test you so that the fear of God will be with you to keep you from sinning. The people remained at a distance while Moses approached the thick darkness where God was. Then the Lord said to Moses, Tell the Israelites this, You have seen for yourselves that I have spoken to you from heaven. We have reached the point in our nation when the Ten Commandments are not wanted because they remind us of too much that we would rather forget and sweep under the carpet. And as we begin to look at the Ten Commandments together, how God established them, what they meant in their context, and what they mean to us today. We need to submit our examination to the Lord in prayer. Let us pray. Dear Father, we ask as we look at your word that you would give, give us wisdom and insight. Because it is your power that is necessary in order for us to make sense of your word. Your word shares in all your attributes Your word is living and active. Together with your power, it is able to change lives. We ask that your word might change our lives. That the Ten Commandments which you established with your people, the Israelites, might be lessons and a message for us, your people, to today. 
that we might grow in faith, that we might grow out of love in obedience. We ask, Lord, that our hearts might be focused on you and on the holiness and wisdom of your word, and that my words might be faithful to your word, Lord, because your word alone is holy. In Jesus' name, amen. We see the fact that our nation, in our nation the Ten Commandments are not wanted just in a number of places around us. The courts of Michigan have upheld the complaint of a student and several months ago, maybe even last year at this point, mandated the removal of the Ten Commandments which had previously been posted on a wall. The Supreme Court upheld that ruling. And since then you may have heard, but a number of the students have apparently been uh, putting the Ten Commandments on fabric and wearing them on their shirts or putting these little cloth things on the wall as demonstrations of art, <laughs> which is sort of an interesting thing, but uh, apparently various and sundry people have tried to stop this as well or have been interested in trying to stop it. A southern judge who has the Ten Commandments posted in his courtroom is under investigation for this demonstration of his faith. If our nation is going to return to morality and justice, it won't happen because the courts of Michigan and the Supreme Court eventually admit that they were wrong in mandating the removal of the Ten Commandments from a public school in that state. These are a sorry state of affairs in the life of our nation and a terrible commentary on the spiritual state of our nation because from these points in time, these incidents that are happening in our nation, what we learn is this. We learn the attitudes and the thoughts of people's hearts and their souls towards God. A more significant indicator regarding the welfare, the spiritual welfare of our nation, would be to turn from examining the public workplace, the public arena, public school, all of these situations, to turn from examining these places to examining the lives of Christians, to see if Christians continue to uphold the Ten Commandments or if instead we believers have followed the world around us and removed the Ten Commandments from our homes, our businesses, our schools, and our churches. As much as that has happened, we have lost our flavor as salt in the world today. When we give up the influence and the effects of the Ten Commandments in our personal lives, we have lost the cleansing effect of a right devotion to the Lord and to His law. And by losing the effect of this law upon our lives, we have lost our impact on the culture, which is created by a right proclamation of the law of the Lord. Not just in what we say, for instance, you are not to commit murder, you are not to steal, but also from the example that our lives illustrate of upholding God's law. The Ten Commandments continue to be on display in the Supreme Court. Yet as our culture wages war on the Ten Commandments themselves, and why does our culture wage war on the Ten Commandments? <clears throat> because they are a silent reminder of the God of the universe. A statement that shows that there is an objective law and a just judge and lawgiver. As our culture wages war on the Ten Commandments, we must remind ourselves God is going to defend His laws. What God has established, He defends. And we as His church need to be His tool. 
We don't need to be afraid that we are going to step out in front of God in defending His law. We need to be His tool unashamed of His law because it remains part of His plan for bringing people to Himself through Jesus Christ. Why look at the Ten Commandments, the covenant established with the Israelites in the Old Testament? Because it continues as we see throughout the New Testament and we'll be looking at in this introduction. It continues to remain part of the Lord's plan for bringing people to Himself through Jesus Christ. We must be bold to proclaim the truth of the Ten Commandments, fearless to defend it as part of the Word of God, courageous and righteous to be guided by it in our living out the Christian life. So let's begin this study of the Ten Commandments by looking at the Ten Commandments as a whole before proceeding over the next weeks to break it down into its parts and examine each part as an individual. Ten Commandments, the first thing that we have to realize and understand about the Ten Commandments is that the Ten Commandments were God's covenant with the Israelites. A covenant is a binding agreement between two or more parties. A binding agreement between two or more parties. If you're interested in exactly what a covenant meant in that time, you can come to my office and look it up in the New International Standard Bible Encyclopedia or various and sundry other reference works and find out what all a covenant involved in these Old Testament times. But essentially, covenants were agreements made for the purpose of binding both parties to certain actions. In this case, or in any case, they stipulated that the greater party, in this case, the greater party, of course, is the Lord God. In any case, he is the greater party. The greater party, what the greater party desires of the lesser party, in this case, the Israelite people. And in making the covenant, the blessings on one side and the curses on the other would be laid out. Now, Neil has humorously suggested that from time to time what we should do is pronounce blessings and curses from, what is it, uh, the end of Exodus or Deuteronomy? From Deuteronomy? <laughs> where, where the people stood on opposing mountains. And one side proclaimed the blessings and the other side proclaimed the curses. Are you the one who suggested that? Humorously. Humorously. Well, maybe it's my memory. The point is, two sides. What will happen if you do obey this agreement? What will happen if you don't obey this agreement? And as as in any covenant, the greater party is the one who establishes the blessings and the curses, as well as what behavior is required. This covenant in its presentation, we have to understand, and I stopped sort of abruptly at the end there, but we see in the portion of Scripture that I read, and if you read any further or any prior to that, you realize that this covenant in its presentation was an awesome thing. It was accompanied by an overpowering demonstration of God's power and His glory. We see part of the purpose behind that In verse 20, Moses said to the people, Do not be afraid. In other words, yes, you have just cause to be afraid. This whole situation is designed to strike fear to the depths of your heart. But do not be afraid. God has come to test you so that the fear of God will be with you to keep you from sinning. 
so that's a that's a very excellent point to us to remind us that the covenant was established in such a way that the people would be quaking in their boots and to realize that this was not a light, trivial affair. It was an awesome occasion, and it was accompanied in chapter 19, if you want to read about it, with thunder and lightning, a thick cloud over the mountain, a very loud trumpet blast. Everyone in the camp trembled, and Mount Sinai was covered with smoke because the Lord descended on it in fire. The smoke billowed up from it like smoke from a furnace. The whole mountain trembled violently, and the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder. Gus has frequently talked about loud situations in his testing of of aircraft engines. Talked about damaging his eardrum as a result of loudness. Volume can strike fear in hearts. I think that's part of the story of Gideon in the Old Testament. When they blew their trumpets and smashed their dishes and shone their lights. These things are designed to accomplish that. And so the covenant was presented and was surrounded with an awesome demonstration of God's power. So that the people would not take it lightly. Further, the covenant was affirming a relationship. Why did God, God, God bother doing this, establishing this with the Israelite people? Because he wanted a relationship of peace and of joy with the people of Israel. That's why he established this covenant with them. Why bother talking to the people at all if you intend to destroy them? God talked to the people and gave them this covenant because he wanted to have a relationship with them that was built upon Positive aspects, love and trust and obedience, not just negative aspects of fear and of destruction and of judgment and condemnation. What this covenant was all about was God saying to the people, people, if you truly desire to please me, here is how you do it. We all know what the effects are, whether or not we've been in such a relationship, what the effects would be in a relationship where one party never communicated with the other party, whether it's a marriage or a work relationship or a school relationship or anything else. When there is a lack of communication from one side, the other side has no idea whether what they are doing is pleasing or displeasing or what. Is the other person just simply ignoring them? Does it matter? Does the other person care? And so the covenant was God's saying to the people, I want a relationship, and this is what I am establishing in order to communicate clearly to you how I want this relationship to work. The covenant also was renewing and revitalizing a faith watered down by paganism. The Israelites had spent many years in Egypt and been exposed to worship of gods other than the one and only true God, the Lord. And as a result of this, at this time when God was bringing them in the Exodus, being brought out of the land of Egypt, he was establishing, he was putting up a, a break front or whatever you want to call it. He was a beachhead, a bulkhead. What? I'm going to throw out a lot of different words here. But he was putting up, he was establishing his first camp with the Israelites to let them know, folks, things have changed. The old ways don't work. You are not worshiping the old gods. You are not worshiping the gods that the Egyptians worshipped. We are starting out afresh. This is the beginning of their journey to the promised land. This covenant was also 
And we recognize it because we realize it was accompanied with such an awesome demonstration of God's power. It was a covenant from the mouth of God. This was not Moses' idea. This was God's idea. This was God's accomplishment. This was God's word. And so the Israelites, whether or not they agreed or disagreed with this law, they could never go back and say, forget it. That was Moses' idea. Things have changed. Times have changed. We just don't do it that way anymore. And that is one reason for the longevity of people's devotion to the Ten Commandments. Because people who are devoted to the Lord have realized that this is not man's law which changed based upon the changes in culture. Now we have to realize that as we look beginning at God's covenant being a covenant that was established originally with the Israelites, we have to impress upon ourselves this fact. The Ten Commandments were never the basis for salvation. The Ten Commandments were never the basis for salvation. We read throughout the New Testament, God's teaching us about how salvation works. It works in the same way in the Old Testament with the patriarchs as it works in the New Testament and works through today. Abraham, we are told, was saved by what? And not works. Faith and not works. No one is saved by works because no one is perfect save Christ alone. We read in Romans chapter 3, verse 20, Romans is an excellent book in dealing with uh, the applicability of the Ten Commandments. We read this, Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in his sight by observing the law. In verse 28, we realize, Since there is only one God who will justify the circumcised by faith, and the uncircumcised by what? That same faith. It is faith which saves. It is not obedience to the law. Romans chapter 4 goes into this in depth. What then shall we say that Abraham our forefather discovered in this matter? If in fact Abraham was justified by works, he had something to boast about, but not before God. Now when... Now, excuse me. What does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Now, when a man works, his wages are not credited to him as a gift, but as an obligation. However, to the man who does not work but trusts God who justifies the wicked, his faith is credited as righteousness. The heresy that works saved, whether it's the Ten Commandments or any other law, whether delivered by God or delivered by man, was the basis for the greater sin of the Pharisees. The sin against which Jesus Christ hammered again and again in his time here on this earth. They exalted obedience to the letter of the law over the relationship aspect of faith in God and love for neighbor. This shows us the danger of putting works, whether obedience to the Ten Commandments or any other system of works, before faith in God who alone saves through Jesus Christ. Now, as we go through this examination of the Ten Commandments... I have made this last point and reiterated it. The Ten Commandments never were, never will be the basis for salvation. So I want you to understand from the outset 
these are not the basis for salvation. And I do not suggest and would be wrong at any point to suggest that your entry into heaven is based upon your obedience to to the Ten Commandments. They are a tool given by the Lord for our growth in faith. They are also a measuring stick that helps us look at our lives, a magnifying glass perhaps, that helps us look at our lives in order to become more what the Lord wants us to be. And as such a tool, we must examine them, learn them, and seek to be guided in living by them. The Ten Commandments are, however, part of a broad plan for reconciliation, reconciling man to God. Man's part is summarized in the Gospels by the Lord. And the emphasis that he placed when he was asked the question, Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? The emphasis that he placed was on the love aspect, the summary of the Ten Commandments and the law. Love for the Lord and for one another. <clears throat> and so Jesus replied in Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and the greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. This summary, when Jesus was asked, what is the greatest commandment? I find this to be an interesting sideline comment here. Oftentimes we tend to try to put the God of the universe into a small box so that we can understand him and force him to answer things in one way or another. He only can answer this way. He only can answer that way. When the teacher of the law said to him, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus said, well, the greatest is this, and then there's another one. In other words, I can do part of what you asked, but I'm going to do it in a way which does not exactly follow your pigeonhole for me to answer. So he broke the law down into two parts, just as the summary is broken into two parts. As we look at the Ten Commandments together, we'll find that they can be breaking down into the duties to the Lord of the universe, our Creator, Commandments 1 through 5, and duties, on the other hand, to our fellow man, Commandments 6 through 10. How did Jesus explain this? He explained this as well, and it's explained elsewhere in the New Testament as being, how should you love your brother? You should love him as you love yourself. This was explained for everyone to understand. Most people do not have a problem understanding how to love themselves. How do the Ten Commandments fit into God's broad plan for reconciling man to himself? The major way is that they are used as a warning. The Ten Commandments are used then and now as a warning that alerts us to the effects of death and sin upon our lives which separate us from God despite our best and our greatest efforts. Romans 3.19, we read this. Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be silenced and the whole world held accountable to God. Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in his sight by observing the law. Rather, through the law, what? Through the law, we become conscious of sin. Recently, my brother Timothy, who is a pastor in Bloomington, Indiana, received... uh, a number of letters from various people in the congregation about his ministry. And I had the, the enjoyment of getting to read a number of these letters. 
It was interesting because the effort was not orchestrated in what the people needed to say. But it was interesting that a common thread followed through almost every single one of those letters, and I was amazed to see it. Almost without exception, the writers... And if you told everybody, now, emphasize this, and you told them what to emphasize, you'd never get that commonality that was in these letters. But almost without exception, the writers were thankful that Timothy preached in such a way that they saw their sin clearly and were forced to deal with it as sin against God. As a result of his exposing sin clearly, they had at first, many of them expressed in their letters, not liked it. And as a result, many of them expressed they didn't like him either. (laughs) Then as a result of this process of God working in their hearts, they had come to grips with their sin and turned in repentance away from their sin. And for that, they were grateful. This is one of the main purposes that we are told the Ten Commandments are to have throughout time, including for us today, to warn us gravely, telling us as individuals, you are a sinner. This is God's law, and you fall short. The purpose of this warning is to cause us to turn from our sins with sorrow and shame to the waiting arms of Jesus Christ for salvation. The Ten Commandments are further interrelated and broadly defined. We find our legal standing before God with regard to the Ten Commandments is such that if we have broken one of the Ten Commandments, we're guilty of them all. We're guilty of breaking every single one of them. James 2.10, For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. So that no one can say, Well, me, I'm just a simple coveter. That's not so bad. I've never done anything worse than that. According to God's law, breaking the smallest makes us guilty of breaking the greatest. Not only does that show us our legal standing before God, because the Ten Commandments are interrelated and broadly defined, but it also shows us, we see this in so many practical, everyday examples in our lives and in the lives of others, that scorn for one commandment begets scorn for the rest. There are many examples of this in Scripture. If we were honest, we could pick many examples of this in real life. The a, a proverb says part of it. When first, well, oh, what a tangled web we weave! When first we practice to deceive, we see an example of the fact that scorn for one commandment begets scorn for them all. In Ahab, coveting Naboth's vineyard. In coveting his vineyard, he broke the tenth commandment. This led to his, through his wife's, bearing false witness, breaking the ninth against Naboth breaking the Ninth Commandment, which in turn led to the committing of murder against Naboth, which is breaking the Sixth Commandment, which all arose from having other gods before the Lord God, thereby thereby breaking the First Commandment. And so the commandments are interrelated and broadly defined. How are they broadly defined? Because the commandments speak to us not only of external acts, but they also speak to us of internal attitudes. In Matthew 5.27, Jesus revealed it explicitly, saying, You have heard that it was said, Do not commit adultery. However, I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. 
This is not an insignificant statement. That the commandments prohibit thoughts of the heart as well as those thoughts that bear fruit in actions. John Lovick has said this, Crimes are not committed in deed until they have been committed in thought. They are not committed in deed until they have been committed in thought. We may be able to police our actions. We may be able to avoid breaking the Ten Commandments with actual deeds, movements, and actions while allowing our thoughts to run riot. But God's law does not forgive us for disobedient thoughts any more than it forgives us for disobedient actions. Just because a human judge recently found a man innocent of intent to commit a crime, despite his writing an account of graphic violence upon a woman of his acquaintance and then passing his account to a friend does not mean that the Lord looks on this young man as innocent. Because the Lord doesn't. The difficulty that we are in as we try to impose laws upon our community is that we do not understand the, the heart as God understands the heart. And so that is where the realization comes upon us that the Ten Commandments are broadly defined. They include the attitudes of the heart and of the mind as much as they include what we do in our time. <coughs> This is the, one of the misunderstandings of God's law that causes believers oftentimes to believe they have freedom to watch whatever we wish on t- the television screen and to dabble in many other sins in our imaginations, in our reading material, and in many other ways. But we must remember this. Even if the sinful thought never bears fruit in any particular evil action, it still has resulted in sinful action as a thought. For as long as this thought is held dear, it is sin in God's eyes. It's not an accident. Men know this. It's not an accident that in demonstrating this principle, that the commandment speaks regarding the attitudes of the heart and the thoughts of the mind, as well as the actions. It's not an accident that the Lord picked out the lust of a man for a woman, a sin of the eye and of the mind. What is pornography other than this very sin? Those who have experienced the effects of pornography know firsthand the results of this purely personal, as some call it, sin. And so we have to realize that the first step to dealing with the Ten Commandments in our own lives is not by stopping our foot from kicking people or those sorts of things, but stopping our mind from embracing the thoughts which would in turn cause us to do evil things. In all of this, we find that the Ten Commandments are necessary today just as they were when the covenant was established. They provide a guideline for us. They provide a guideline that is necessary because in our sin nature, you and I seek to justify ourselves. It is our... It is our way of life. It is the way in which Satan has dealt with us and caused us to go in his way. It causes us to say, well, that isn't so bad. I'm not really a sinner. He's worse. And these sorts of methods of justification. Whereas when we come up against God's law, we realize how very necessary it is to point out to us that there is a higher standard by which we are sinners and by which we are sinners in as great a way as any man or woman on earth. It is a guideline that is timeless. 
We read in Matthew 5.18, Christ said, I tell you the truth until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. It is a guideline that is applicable. Romans 3, in which Paul is speaking about the importance of the law. In verse 31, he says, Do we then nullify the law by our faith? In other words, if you're not saved by the law, do we just say, get rid of it? It's no good, it's useless, throw it out the door. Not at all. Rather, we uphold the law. Because of our joy and delight in the law of the Lord. Our pleasure to please the Lord, and that is what it is based out of. In the New Testament, if, if in the Old Testament, in part, it was based out of fear, in the New Testament, it must be based out of our love for our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. <clears throat> it is a guideline that is clear-cut. It's not, not, well, when you think about the teacher of the law who said to Jesus, how would you summarize the law and the prophets? And Jesus said, in these two ways, generalities are enjoyable for us to deal with because we can easily slide away our way around these things. But when we come to the Ten Commandments, we are dealing with a law that is codified. It, it says it explicitly. What is sin? It is this. It is murder. It is adultery. It is not honoring me exclusively. And so it is clear-cut, and it is also effective, directing our activities and efforts, showing us what it means to please the Lord. So as we look at God's law, let's remember these things, seek to apply it in our lives, not out of the feeling that if we don't obey it, we will not get into heaven, but out of the thought in our hearts and our minds and our souls that because we love our Savior, we desire to please Him. And here is a guideline that He has established for His pleasure. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we ask that Your Word would bear fruit in our lives. We ask that the Ten Commandments would be an instrument used by You to cause us to walk in Your paths with holiness and righteousness. That we would not focus our eyes on what the world is or is not doing, but instead focus our eyes on You, Focus our eyes on the Ten Commandments and the rest of the law that you have given to us, that we might be guided to know what your standards are and what pleases you, that we might have an impact upon the world around us. In Jesus' name, amen.